Before we get into the episode, I want to put a trigger warning that this episode touches on eating disorders. If that is a trigger for you, then please don't listen to this episode. If you or if you know someone that's struggling with an eating disorder, I've put some links for some help plans down below. back to season two finale well I say finale but there is a bonus episode that's coming out next Tuesday but season two has been so much fun to record and I've loved every single conversation that I've done and I'm so 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 grateful for all the guests who came on and trusted me with their stories and I've definitely saved one of the best conversations till last because today I'm joined by Sanandani who is an entrepreneur from Canada she studied communication and broadcast journalism at uni and is the founder of Anrev Media a marketing and tech solutions company. In this episode, we talk about so, so much from fitting in as a brown woman in today's society, body image, Bollywood casting couches, social media, and so, so, so much more. And as this is the end of season two, I feel like I need to say like, don't forget to listen to all the other episodes. So if you've missed any, like, please do listen to them. And also please feel free to share this podcast with your friends and family. But also I'm a massive believer in personal development and how we are all work in progresses. So I really want your feedback. Let me know what you loved what you're like, pretty, you need to stop doing that, what you want to see for upcoming seasons and who you would fangirl or fanboy over if I got them onto the podcast. Because honestly, my list keeps on growing because there are so many dope people out there doing amazing things in this world. So let me know on social media, Instagram, Twitter and TikTok at Pretty Personal. Before we get into the episode, don't forget to subscribe or follow this podcast. And if you're listening to Apple Podcasts, don't forget to give this five stars and also write a review because I read all of them. I'm so excited for this episode, so let's just get into it. Hi, Sanandani. Hi, Preeti. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited to chat with you. I know we've been trying to do this for a while, so finally, we've locked some time down. I know. I'm really excited to have you as well, to be honest. Like, I can't wait for our topics. I remember when we first chatted. I felt like I could just speak to you for ages because we just like really like got on and we were just talking from everything from like Bollywood to your businesses. And then we got into really deep topics like success. And I was like, I love this. I love this conversation. I was like, we need this to be a podcast episode. I appreciate it. Thank you. So one of the things that I do as an icebreaker is I ask five different questions just so that people listening know a little bit more about you. So the first question is, what is one thing that you're grateful for today? One thing that I'm grateful for today would be the sunshine. As you can see behind me, we got a random wave of summer. So the weather is beautiful today. Very grateful for that. Going to go outside, get a little run in. So excited to connect with nature today. What's one thing that makes you smile? Um, one thing that makes me smile. Hmm. I think loving texts from family and friends in the morning, you know, like a nice good morning or like a have a good day or something funny from my dad, like, you know, have a nice day, daughter. <laughs> Do you get the WhatsApp pictures and the WhatsApp videos? I used to. And then I threatened my parents that I would block them if they send me any more with like the flowers and like, may God bless you <laughs> today and every day. The next question was, what is one thing that you want to get better at in 2021? I need to fix my sleep cycle. I was doing really well. And then, you know, it's been all over the place the last few months. Sometimes I'm sleeping at 10. Sometimes I sleep at 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 5 a.m. Who knows? What was your favorite subject at school? Ah, Can you tell I loved school so much? 
I loved writing. Like I really enjoyed English actually. Um, I loved doing creative writing and all that. So probably just English. Everything else was no bueno. And finally, what is one thing that you really value? I really value, I think my peace of mind more than anything, just to stay in that momentum and uh, letting things enter or leave my life to make sure that I stay in my peace of mind. I think that's the most valuable thing you can have. No, definitely. I completely, completely agree. So like I said before, a lot of what we're talking about today is growing up South Asian. And obviously, we're from different diasporas. Like we're both South Asian, but you're from Canada and I'm from the UK. But I feel like we both have very similar experiences, especially when it comes to fitting in to like the Western world, for example. Like how have you navigated that? Mm-hmm. So actually, I was born in India. I came here when I was like six. So I knew enough of my Indian culture and was very grounded in my roots. So actually, it was a really big culture shock for me to come and see people. First of all, people that are that look different, right? That not only do they speak different, but they all look different. Like I'd never seen, for example, Asian people in my life, or I'd never seen literally anybody except Indian people. So that was a little bit of a culture shock. And I remember I did not know the language at all. I didn't know like a word of English. So essentially, my mom taught me watching TV. So she'd make me like read and hear the enunciation of each word. And that's kind of how I learned to speak English. So I never had to do ESL. But I think one of the most challenging things growing up in a predominantly Caucasian community was how do I stay in touch with my roots and things that matter to me? And, you know, the first six formative years of my life that I'm deeply connected to, but also this new life that I have. And I think especially when you're a teenager, you're trying to find your footing of like, how do I balance that? But Balance is the key. And that's really what helped me integrate myself into an environment that's so mixed, but also keep my roots and keep my identity. I'm lucky that everybody around me was from different cultures as well, whether they were white, black, Asian, Latino. So they all had their roots to go home to as well. And it made things a little bit easier. It's funny. I always used to say, I'm like, I live a double life. Like I'd come home and then do something very brown per se, quote unquote, right? like have a samosa or something, you know, whereas like everybody else would go home and have a slice of pizza. Just finding that balance of your identity that you're born into and then the one that you grow into has been very helpful for me. Yeah. And I think just finding that balance has become so difficult. And I think a lot of us have struggled with that, like within our teenagers. I remember that, for example, with me, my parents are both from India, but I was born in the UK and they kind of brought me up like how they knew how to bring someone up. So there were a lot of things that, for example, if my friends had a sleepover, I couldn't go to like a sleepover because they were like, who, who is this person? Like, we don't know them. <laughs> I said, yeah, duh. <laughs> All of us went through that. Yeah. And I was like, I just want to have a sleepover with my friends. Like, why can't I do this? And there's loads of things that actually added up that I ended up doing in my 20s. Like, I think it was in my 20s that I actually had my friends over and then we had a sleepover. I don't know. There's sometimes like, a little bit shocked and surprised and like, wait, you've never had a sleepover before. And I'm like, no, I haven't. I know. You know, it's funny. Same, same. Until I moved out, I don't think I had a sleepover like in my life. Like until I was 20 years old, literally the same. But in retrospect, now that I'm much older and, you know, one day I'll have my own family and stuff. I totally get it. I'll tell you this right now. My kids are not going to know Random's house until they're also 20. It's not happening. Or like the parents have to be really good friends. I get it. Now that I'm older, I get it. But I think when you're like 
12, you're like, I hate you. Slam my door. Why are you doing this to me? Yeah. Relative to what you said, I remember loads of people at school. I went to predominantly South Asian school, but actually it was very diverse. And I could remember like a lot of people shying away from their like cultural side, like for example, pat lunch. And a lot of people, they used to hide bringing Indian food or South Asian food because it smells a certain way or it's like you don't want to be labeled as a curry person. And I think like that's really sad. The fact that like we had to like force our parents to be like, can I just have plain sandwiches, please? Yeah. Yeah. Rather than have anything in my sandwich that makes me look ethnic, so to speak. Same thing. I went through that all the way from like grade two when I first came here to like no exaggeration, all of high school until literally you like get into your own world and you're an adult. Same thing. Like I used to hide my food. I loved taking like, you know, the Bronte, the little Bronta to school. I love that with like the jar, but I was so embarrassed or I'd like go eat at my friend's house or something. It's so weird in retrospect because like the culture is so different now and so much more accepting. And the things that were not so cool are definitely very cool now. Like now it's cool to be South Asian. When I was in grade eight, 9-11 happened. And I was one of three like Indian kids in my entire school at that point. I remember literally right away, it was, oh, you're Osama bin Laden's daughter or oh, you're a terrorist or you're, you know, every racial slur possible, like go go back to your country, don't bombard us, like you're this, you're that, to the point where they like spray painted our house, like they would throw rocks at me and other the other two brown kids. Yeah. Oh my god. I know. That is like extreme racism. And it's funny because all those exact same kids that like bullied Indian kids at that time are now always posting about, you know, racism is so wrong. And like anti-racism stuff like all over like diversity and inclusion da, 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 all over their Instagram Facebook and it makes me laugh because I'm like listen do you not remember yourself like 20 years ago and what you were doing but yeah I just kind of went on a random rant I was totally off topic from your sandwich conversation but kind of ties together yeah <laughs> I completely relate to that because my friend was actually telling me that like there are so many people out there like them There are so many people out there that were racist or used to bully people for and say racial slurs that are now promoting and being like, we should do more for the curriculum and we should make it diverse when actually your actions were saying something completely different in the past. Nor have you apologized to those people for the actions and how you made them feel. So it's just that whole thing about like, you're saying one thing, but you kind of did something else and you're not even taking accountability or ownership for what you did in the first place. But going back to like experiencing racism and stuff, how did that make you feel? Because you're obviously just a kid. Yeah, no, obviously. Um, I think you definitely start to hate yourself because you're like, why am I like this? You know, why is this who I am? Why am I in this environment? And being all of, you know, 12 years old, you're like, the victim is the only thing you know how to be. You don't really know how to be anything else. And it was a really tough time for me, I think, facing a lot of racism. And at the same time, I was going through physical changes as a woman. My body was changing rapidly. I'm like, what's happening? I don't look like how I did. I don't feel good. You know, suddenly I have all these things that are changing. My skin is changing my body. And then being bombarded with constant racial slurs really are just like, I don't like myself. I don't like this person that I am. And it definitely spiraled into a lot of things for me. Deep, low self-esteem, insecurities, And just wanting to like 
is the word I'm looking for. Just, I want validation from, you know, the cool white kids at school. I really wanted that type of attention. I wanted that type of validation. So I did everything in my power to like try to look like them or act like them. And I definitely went through an identity crisis, I would say from grade eight after that incident, all the way to like grade 11, 12, where I just wanted so deeply to like fit into a certain niche. So after this 9-11 incident, the year after that, I started high school. And in high school, it was totally different. The first two years, like grade nine and 10, I was like suddenly meeting kids from different schools and a lot more colored children, a lot more diverse staff as well. That's a big thing because up until then, I'd only had Caucasian teachers who like would not understand for one second what it means to go through that sort of racist experience. And then suddenly you have all these teachers that are like, they're black, they're white, they're Indian, they're, you know, they're Asian. So they understand your need to fit into a clique. Pretty much right away, I gravitated towards a group of friends that was diverse. I I had white friends, I had black friends, and we all hung out together. But I think somewhere deep down inside, I still had that like need for approval from specifically white people. And I literally did everything possible. Like I lost so much weight. Um, I think I told you when we initially spoke, I went through eating disorder. And this is something I've literally never spoken about in my life since that chapter ended. I've never looked back and talked about it. But it started to develop in grade nine. And then in grade 10, I went through an incident where I was just realizing that like, I don't really control a lot of things in my life. And I think that lack of control and feeling like not only do I not control my environment, I don't even control me. I look a certain way. My body's a certain way. I'm still not feeling like I fit into this country that I'm still in. Somewhere inside, I'm still connected to that version of me in India or that version of me you know, in grade two or that version of me that's being bullied in grade eight. So I think connecting to those was so harmful to myself because I started to see where I can take control of things. And what could I control as a, you know, 13, 14 year old? Okay, what I eat and how much I work out. I obsessively started to work out. I think like at one point I was doing four to five hours a day of like cardio at my peak and I was not eating for two, three days at a time. Yeah, no, I know. It's some serious stuff. Um, I think my lowest weight was 48 pounds. And then at that point, it was like, I got to go to the hospital and like IVs and, you know, just to like bounce the body back. I developed alopecia at that time as well. My hair was falling out in chunks, like I had patches because no nutrition. Literally, I think I had an epiphany where I was like, I am not going to let this be my story or define me based on all these insecurities as a Indian person that have caused me to be like, what can I control? And if anything, my life was even more out of control at that point, right? So literally, I just had an epiphany and I was like, you know what? Like, I'm going to snap out of this. And I changed my life very quickly. Within a year, I was totally normal, recovered, never looked back. And that's why it's something I don't talk about because I feel like what's done is done and let's keep it moving. However, I understand now, you know, I'm 32 years old. I think that it's very important to share these stories and share some of the thought processes that go into people feeling that, you know, I'm going to try to take a a grasp on my life, but really you're like spiraling even further. And I think that racism played a huge part in why I ended up there. 
I'm so happy you digressed. Thank you so much for sharing that because I would never have known. Well, obviously, I've never have known, but like, that's really personal stuff. So thank you so much for trusting me with that. No, of course. The biggest thing was our bodies are different, right? Like my body is different. I look different. I'm not that tall. I don't have that like long torso. You know, I think the media played a big part in that, which is a part of why I wanted to get into like broadcast and journalism because suddenly around that time when I was like 16, 17, I started seeing a lot more representation of our culture pop up. Like suddenly it was like, oh wow, India is like this mystic, cool land and like, JLo and Beyonce had become huge at that point and their bodies are, they're curvy. So I was like, oh, wait, you know, if, if this is acceptable, then maybe I'm acceptable. I think it is quite difficult, especially like growing up. Like I have always been a very chubby kid. I've been a big baby. I've been a big toddler. I've literally just always been bigger. And I think for me, like I've always struggled with my weight as well. I think it was honestly like growing up in the era of like Kate Moss or like skin thin models and I was like I can't be like that because I'm big boned like I would literally have to shave my bones to be that person but yeah I felt pressure to be that and even now like body shapes are always changing like if you see body shapes throughout history it went from like being curvy to being like stick thin to now like the Kim Kardashian of a big butt and a small waist which is again really hard to obtain and also, you're killing yourself by doing that. Like, please don't do that. Yeah, like I'm not going to shave my ribs down to have my rib cage be smaller. Like, I can't do that. Just the longevity of it all, right? Like, I absolutely love Kim. I admire what she's done with her career and what she's done for the world. But at the same time, there's that whole body dysmorphia aspect that so many women have, including her own sisters, you know, like they've all kind of gone through it. And then just as a woman, like you need to think about big picture. Like, what are you going to do at 55, 60 when you don't have energy or like the issues that you have with pregnancy and like giving birth and da da da? You've changed your body so much that it's no longer God's work. It's just man made, you know? Yeah. I do also feel like we are a lot more accepting this day and age of people's body shapes compared to how it was like 10 years ago, for example. I think people were so quick to judge back and they were like, oh my God, you're fat. A person that's chubby is like fat and a person who is stick thin is like, yes, this is correct. And a lot of that was like Bollywood or Indian aunties. But I think Bollywood has also played a part in that because you don't see any regular people. Like they're all abbed, toned, skinny people. And that's not a true representation of the population. Yet that's what we strive to be. And also like the older I got, the more I realized that half these models are literally on drugs. Like they're, they've got addictions of alcohol and cocaine. So like that's not an option for me. So I'd rather just go to the gym, work out, eat well, balance life. And that's it. Like it's not worth it. It is not worth it. I can tell you from my personal experience of sitting in that bed being like, Oh my God, like I'm about to be hooked up to like IVs if I don't get my shit in order. Excuse my language, but it is not worth it. Like, even for me now, I'm literally in this mindset of like, I just want to be healthy and I just want to be the healthiest version of me. It just means eating clean and working out when I want to work out. I don't really try and put myself on a regular schedule, but I want to at least do like 30 minutes a day. Man, social media right now is such a piss off on top of all of that because, again, it's constant unattainability a type of beauty standard that is not normal. 
at all. On top of the body issues, now everyone's got their face done to the point where everybody looks like a cookie cutter. And you're like, okay, like what is beautiful at this point? But like you said, it's all about attaining a balance. How did you end up finding a balance with it all? It's a lot of different things, I think. I'm a Libra, first of all. So like we're all about balance. Literally, Libras function the best when they're able to have balance in their life. I'm also like a pretty scheduled and organized person for the most part. So like creating a balance and a schedule in my life is very important. I have to have a schedule. I lose my mind if I don't. So like I got to wake up at a certain time. I got to meditate at a certain time. I got to do my work at a certain time, work out, read talk to my friends, family, personal life, whatever it is. Just the way that my brain works is that's how I do it. Like work my butt off, you know, Monday to Saturday, let's say. And then Saturday after three o'clock, you will not hear from me. (laughs) I'm just having the time of my life. So creating a schedule and definitely spirituality. As tough as those times were in my life and as a child, I think I gravitated towards the concept of understanding the universe and God and like the God concept and what really our religions mean and the science behind it all literally as young as like six. I think the first time I asked my mom about God, I was four years old. Just like, what is God? What does that really mean? I studied meditation the majority of my life and finding that journey back to myself and understanding that's where the real power and balance comes in has been the key for me through everything in my life. Quite frankly, I had to come to a place, especially in my 20s, that my true power has become not being influenced by anything external. That's a variable to change. That includes my physical body. That includes the people in my life, the ups and downs of businesses. That includes what people are saying to you, not saying to you. Anything that's a variable to change and outside of my core being I cannot let that define me. And that's how I really stay grounded and stay balanced because there are things that I control and then things that I don't. And the ones that I don't, I can't do anything about it. That's something I think a lot of people can relate to. Like I was literally nodding like the whole time you were talking about that because I was like, yes. Yeah. Because I feel like I'm so similar to you because I am also that person that I need to like write things down and I just constantly have to do this. And I love ticking stuff off my to-do list that I think is the most satisfying thing ever when it's like I've done this I've done this I've done this I've done this I was like yesterday has been a good day like I've accomplished stuff but yeah also it's just the whole fact of like you honestly can't control what other people think like going back to your point like it's honestly exhausting like it emotionally takes a toll on you to your point what someone else thinks has nothing to do with you it's just themselves right their own experiences their own journey their own allowance of goodness in their life versus the dark energy in their life that's all it is when you just take those expectations and literally just chuck them in the bin like it's so freeing and you just can be yourself actually you know in 2012 i ran for miss india canada no way yeah and that was a very um eye-opening experience to help me push myself into that version that like really stops caring what people think because you put yourself out there on this like public platform There's like online voting. You're literally global. You have to get people to go on your page and vote and you have a fan page and you have this and you have that. And like, I kid you not, some of the comments I would get initially, I was like, Oh my God, like I would cry. I cried for like the first two weeks every day. I was getting like, you know, uncles in India being like, you look like a man or you look like this or you look like that. She's too skinny. She's too fat. She's too tall. She's too small. She's blah. You name it. You can get any label in the world, right? I always look at that time as 
the time that I shed every label that came to me instead of like letting it absorb into my being, which I did for the first two weeks. That was such a turning point in my journey as a human being, because I kid you not, I heard every single thing you can possibly hear, you know, from go back to your country or this, every label I think that came with it. I actually pushed back out and I was like, this is not going to define me and it's not going to be a part of like who I am. And that helped me get to that freedom of literally what you just said, like not caring. I don't care. How does that make you feel though? Like when random people they don't even know were just saying horrible things about you, like they don't even know you. Um, it gave me a lot of anxiety. I remember I couldn't sleep and like I had a Blackberry back then, like a BBM. So my friends would message me like, Oh, so and so commented this on your picture, like go delete it, or like on Twitter they said this and I and just like staying up at three o'clock in the morning, being like, Oh my god, is some uncle gonna write something on my picture? Became so exhausting that one day I was like, you know what? Let them. Who cares? Who literally cares? Again, like the focus on glass half empty or half full, right? So I shifted my mindset from empty to full. And I was like, look, I have this amazing opportunity for every one negative comment. I have 30 positive comments. And like, let's focus on that. Oh my God, that's so cool. What made you want to even like, apply for and run for Miss Canada? Oh my God. I had the acting bug. And this is going to be a great conversation because I know we're going to hopefully get to talk about Bollywood a little bit. But um, I had the acting bug. I like I literally took acting. I like did plays and had like my demo reel. And I was like, oh, this is a great way for me to break into the industry. Then after that, I went to India and I was like, I'm going to become an actress. And then I was like, OK, I guess I'm not. It's very eye opening. But that that was a big part of it. Like I just I really wanted to get into actual like acting and be a professional actor. How was that? Like when you went to India and decided to pursue Bollywood? Every rumor you've heard ever is absolutely true because, and I've been talking about it since then. My experience started 2011, 2012. You are put into situations and I'm very, very, very lucky that I never had to actually get into a situation where I learned this the hard way. But basically, casting couch is extremely real. You name it. Like I went through this, not just in film, in acting, but also in broadcasting. It was very similar. My producer for a TV station that I was working at was like, um, I will extend your contract and give you a permanent position as a production uh, head if you come to my condo tonight and talk about it over dinner. And I was like, yeah, F off, like take care, you know? So I experienced a lot, a lot, a lot of moments and things like that where people think that because you might come off as really eager or excited to pursue a career that you're going to compromise your ethics. And that is not me. That was never me. And it, that will never be me. I've never been in that situation. So that's not going to happen. And like, I think they were always very thrown off by my stern no and clarity on who I am as a woman, because I think a lot of people are not clear on who they are when they get into that field, which is why you see a lot of celebrities that get lost very young, very quickly and taken advantage of. I'm grateful my parents raised me in a way to know who I am and be a strong individual and know how to stand up for myself. So I never had to expose myself beyond a certain point of just conversation. You know, I'm very, very lucky because I know a lot of women are not that lucky. It, it goes much deeper than conversation. It goes into an actual scenario where they have to compromise their ethics and their bodies to get what they want. And lucky for me, that was 
something I didn't experience to that extent, but the offers were on the table constantly, constantly. Wow. I was not expecting that at all. How long were you in India for them? Um, not too long. Just, I think like six, seven weeks, nothing crazy. So my dad is very well connected. Like he knows a lot of people. So I met people at almost like a higher stature. So they were very transparent with me with what happens. And it was a really big eye opener for me. Whereas had I gone, you know, as somebody that like doesn't have the support or backing of her parents in that conversation, I think that would have gone very differently. And my parents, like they supported me. They were like, you want to try it? Cool. Let's go. Let's do it. But we're coming. Like there's no, you're going to go to India alone and like figure it out and live in Mumbai. And yeah, I was not there that long, but the experiences and the conversations were enough to be like, I'm never coming back. Yeah. Like that's enough. But again, I get over things very quickly. Like I was like, okay, I'm done. Came back and I was like, now what? What happens now? So apart from everything that's happened with you and Bollywood, are you still a big Bollywood fan? I am, but I think more for like the connectivity that it gives me to my culture. I love the music. I love dancing. I think for that part, yes. What I don't love is, especially in this last year, a lot of things have come to light that like, I think a lot of people were aware of, but it was never openly discussed. So I am not a fan of the industry. I'm not a fan of the business of it. I'm not a fan of a lot of the portrayals that we grew up with as well. I think modern Bollywood is very cool. Really cool, interesting stories are coming out. A lot of underground actors that don't have to go through the experiences that the actresses in the 90s and early 2000s did. It's literally like talent driven. And because of platforms like Netflix and independent movie makers, you're able to actually get good stories out. So that version of Bollywood right now, I love. I am absolutely disgusted and disturbed by the historic Bollywood that we've been exposed to. I think growing up in the 90s, definitely unrealistic ideas of what love is and what your epiphany should be as far as love goes. Like it was always portrayed that, you know, you have to have a very difficult love story. So when I tell you that like all my girlfriends, my age that grew up connected to Bollywood have had very difficult love lives. There's something subconscious of like, you have this difficult moment and then, you know, your knight in shining armor comes and like saves you from the misery of your life and da da da. And that's what your identity is. Like the goal of every movie was to get together and be married. <laughs> We're programmed to be like the goal of life should be to get together and get married, but that's not it. I kid you not. I actually don't know any 90s Bollywood movie that is not a love story. They're all freaking love stories. Yes. And the goal of that love story was to get married. It was never be an independent woman. It was nothing beyond marriage. Like that was the absolute goal, which is great. Marriage is a great thing because it's unity. It's a life journey. It's a companionship, right? But that is not the end all and be all. And then I think the other thing that like really irks me is the obsessive stalking that was constantly portrayed in every 90s Bollywood movie. Like the way to get a girl was by touching her, by pinching her, by stalking her, by showing up to her door, by literally being invasive into every aspect of her life. And then she would magically be like, okay, I, this is the guy that I want. Like that programming has harmed our society, the South Asian community so deeply, especially like men in their 40s that are like 10 years older than me, I would say. 
they have this really poor programming. That's literally how you get somebody. Like you constantly harass them. That is not how you get somebody. That's how you get a restraining order. I have my share of those too, but yeah. So let's rewind a bit. How did you go from beauty pageant to Bollywood to now being an entrepreneur and starting multiple businesses, which is amazing. How did you even get into entrepreneurship? I leveled up. That's how. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) You know, after the whole like Bollywood fiasco, I'm like, okay, what do I do? I got to like pay some bills and figure my life out. So I decided to pursue corporate culture for a little bit. So part of my degree was communications. And, you know, under that, I learned a lot of like marketing and PR. So I kind of took advantage of that, went the corporate route, worked for a few corporate companies. And then same thing, like I just was not satisfied. Like I always wanted more from my life. I always wanted to have a business. I actually started multiple growing up and failed tons. Like, like it's actually embarrassing, but it's not, it's fine. It's totally fine. It's not embarrassing it's at all. all. It's all lessons. There's no oh, such yeah, thing as failure. Sometimes I'm like, oh my God, like, why was I so gung ho on this? And then I was like, eh, I don't know. So, you know, long story short, I guess I just wanted that freedom and I felt like my light was being dimmed and I was not being myself. So I thought like, what can I do in this moment? What do I know how to do? And I just did it. I don't, I really don't know like what happened. It was just like, call it like divine intervention or something like that. So I literally just went in, had my last day at my job, came home and I was like, what the hell just happened? had a glass of wine, cried, I think for three hours. And then I was like, okay, I got to do something. Am I going to go back to work? Am I going to go back into this rat race that God has pulled me out of? Or am I going to pursue what I know I can do and like follow my potential? Honestly, it sounds very cliche, but you have to know your potential and follow that. Like that's what happened for me. I was like, I think I bring so-and-so and so to the table and this is who I am. And I think I need to pursue my potential. And if I fail, cool. If not, also fine. So I started the agency about five and a half years ago now. I was like literally calling people up like, Hey, do you need consulting? Like, do you need copywriting? Do you need anything? Like, do you need a website? I'll do it for you. And I was charging like 500 bucks because I just needed to survive. One thing led to another. So I think through being a business owner, I've also been very lucky to have opportunities come my way and, and, you know, exposure come my way. So I'm constantly like traveling and learning and seeing things that are out of the box. So I see opportunities and I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I can invest into this or I can start a second business or I can start a third business. And it really comes down to resources and how well they can mix with each other. At the end of the day, I'm still in a digital tech business. And it has a bunch of different umbrellas. Like when I started the skincare company, I don't view it as a skincare company. I view it as an e-commerce business. That's what it is, which is an umbrella of my existing business. I'm working on some cool apps right now. One is in fintech. One is like money transferring. One is it's similar to, let's say, Fashion Nova, all e-commerce, all technology, working on a meditation app with my dad that we've been trying to just finalize and do the last tweaks. Because that's all a buildup of like who I am as an individual. And I would say to people, like, if you're looking to ever do a business, do something that resonates with who you are as an individual and not who you think you should be based on a market trend. Everything that I'm invested in is because I actually have a part of me in it, not just because it's a trend. Like, you know, you'll never catch me 
doing like stock trading because I don't know how. Like it's not something I care about. That's so interesting. You genuinely have leveled up and like just become a boss in your own right, which is amazing. It must have been so challenging though to start off with. What are some of the challenges that you faced whilst being an entrepreneur? There are many challenges that you face. I think the biggest one is how to not give up. And I really like thank my support system for that, for being like, no, like stick it through. You'll have a turning point. You'll have a breaking point. You face a lot of failure and big question marks. Like, why am I doing this? Oh my God. The first like year and a half, especially was a very difficult time for me. I was still trying to learn while like just making ends meet. And then on top of that, being a Indian person, being a female, I was quite young. You know, I look a certain way. So people have their baggage of stereotypes and assumptions about you that come with that. Things like, oh, you don't have an accent. Like, I'm like, okay, I don't know what that means. But or just, you know, fighting for your account. And the fact of the matter is in technology, men were definitely taken more seriously than women up until very recently. So just breaking the boundaries and breaking the gaps there was very difficult to be like, no, like I know who I am and I know what I do and I know my team's capabilities and being able to sell that. Just the constant stigmas that go around being a person of color straight up, like you are having to fight to prove yourself. You are also underpaid as a woman. I remember uh, when I first started, there was a meeting that I had and literally the guy was like, so like, do you have guys on your team or what? Cause like, how are we going to get this done properly? And I was like, thank you for your time. Goodbye. And this is as recent as five years ago, right? So there's been a big shift in thinking with, I think me too, with a lot of female empowerment, with the age of Venus really, and seeing colored women in power positions. That's something that's happened recently. It was not there. I think understanding my own process, right? In the beginning, everybody would be like, okay, but what's your niche? And I was like, I don't care about a niche right now. Like, do you think I want to get into a niche? I don't care. My niche will happen automatically. And I was very clear on that. And it did. Because in the beginning, you're literally like, I will take any business I can get (laughs) and see what the hell happens. So just not giving into that like pressure of the naysayers. I mean, it's just as much your decision of who you want to work with as it is theirs, right? And letting go of that like desperation, all of this, it was a work in progress. And I would say literally, it's been only like two or three years that I've been very comfortable in who I am and what I bring to the table as far as my business goes. Before that, I was like, I don't know. How did you get to the point where like you didn't give up? Because a lot of people facing a lot of challenges, especially at the start, will be like, this isn't worth my time or oh, I can't be bothered with this anymore. And they will give up. Honestly, how bad do you want it? That's what it comes down to. Like, and my willpower is very, very strong. And I thank God for it every day because I get what I want. I 100% get what I want and I will do whatever it takes to get that because that's how bad I want it, you know? And if I don't want it, then I let it go. Then you don't put in the effort, you don't put in the work, but I will put in the work into something that I want. And like, that also goes with relationships in our lives, right? Like we put in work into maintaining certain relationships, like our friends, our family, our partners, let's say. So like, you don't just give up on that. You know, so as far as your dream goes, I feel like that's more monumental than anything. And like, if you give up, it's very evident to me that you don't have the grit or the resilience to actually go for what you want and you don't want it bad enough. Like the resistance that we create within ourselves that like roots from fear, that roots from ego, which is also fear, 
that roots from, you know, thoughts of failure that roots from, again, to my point earlier of letting people in impact you negatively, not being grounded enough to be like, no, this is what I want. I'm so clear on it. And everything else is a variable. All of these things are things that set us back into like, okay, I'm going to give up. Or maybe it's just a simple lack of interest. And honestly, if it's a lack of interest, leave sooner than later, because that will never grow or change. You have to love what you do genuinely. I just can't see myself giving up on anything that's important to me. So if it's not that important, that's where you give up. And that should be the answer in itself, as opposed to like, it doesn't feel like a chore when you love it. It's that simple. I get you. I really get you. Even like, for example, like this podcast right now, it's a side hustle for me, but I will happily stay until 12 a.m., 1 a.m. editing. It doesn't seem like a chore to me, like talking to you. Like I'm really, really enjoying this conversation, by the way. No, me too. I know. It's a good time. One thing that I did actually want to ask was I, I know there are a lot of people out there that have, especially during lockdown, have started their own side businesses. What kind of tips would you give to those people who actually found their passion and now want to pursue it as something like a business or a full-time career? I think two things. Make sure that you're not pursuing something because it's a fad. Because being an entrepreneur has also become a fad. Recently, people want that recognition. They want the attention. They want to be like, look, I'm a boss bitch. Like, It's become a trend like more than anything. Yeah, it's become a trend. And what I would say is trends don't last. If you don't have what it actually takes to make your business successful, it doesn't matter how cool you think it is. Like, Make sure that you're doing something that is not a fad. Be in it for the right reasons. Because honestly, I know a lot of people that are like, I'm going to start my own business. I'm a boss. I'm this, I'm that. Great. And then six months in, they're like not able to survive and able to pursue their actual journey here because it was for the wrong reason. And like, not because it seems cool on Instagram to get attention for being an entrepreneur. Please don't do that. It really is a contradiction to everything that life is really about, which is individuality and being who you are. And do a business that, that again, is individual to you that actually matters to you. My businesses matter to me. That's why I'm in them. If they didn't, I wouldn't be in them. On the contrary, I think this time has also allowed people to really evolve and grow and understand who they are. And if you found a blessing of like, this is what I was meant to do, pursue it and you can't give up. Like you can't be somebody who's like half in, half out. Clarity is the greatest thing that you can have as a human being. And it's the biggest blessing that you can have. And if you've gone through chapters in your life that like, you know, you really didn't like what you were doing pre-COVID and you were always confused as to like what I want to do. And then you had your moment of epiphany. That's a beautiful thing. Pursue that. Pursue it with clarity, with passion. But again, if the reason behind it is because you have nothing better to do and like you think it's cool to just, you know, get that attention, don't do it. It's not going to last. Then in authenticity will come out. I promise. (laughs) Yeah, that's very true. And I think again, finding your purpose has been kind of said away as a trend as well. It's like you need to find your purpose to the point where people are like, oh my God, what is my purpose? I don't know what I'm doing in life anymore. I don't have a purpose. But it shouldn't be that difficult to be honest. Like your purpose can be something so tiny. It doesn't need to be the biggest thing, right? I think every day we kind of do live our purpose if we think about the essence of it, like our families or whether that be like being that support system to your friend. Like sometimes a purpose doesn't need to be big. It can be small. Doesn't make it any less of a purpose. You know, my purpose is literally to flow like water. Like that's it. I just want to flow. I want life to flow to me, the good, the bad, the ugly, whatever it is. Like that's literally my purpose. And anything beyond that is too complicated. It doesn't need to be like, let me help 
7.3 million people. Like that's my number. That's what I'm going to do. No, like it does not have to be like that. I think that's where people get derailed again by the trends of like what is cool. And the reality of having a business is it's actual blood, sweat and tears. It's not Instagram followers and skinny tea. Like, I'm sorry, no disrespect, but that is not you being an entrepreneur. An actual journey of having your own business and managing your own team and like having clients and the ups and downs of projects and everything that you go through and, you know, wondering year one, like, how am I going to pay my mortgage this month? That's the real deal. <laughs> like, but yeah, don't do it because it's cool. It's not going to last. Just like the skinny bodies, right? <laughs> it's going to go out of fashion soon. Or the, the Kylie Jenner lips, like that one I can't wait for. That's going to be really good. When that goes out of fashion. I just find that one really weird. And you know, like the filters and stuff that's on Instagram. You know, sometimes you're just bored in it. So you just try all these random filters just because like, this is entertaining. The lip filter one is, I just can't. Like, it makes me feel like I look horrible. I'm like, I don't know why people do this to themselves. There's a filter called Cute Baby on Instagram. I think that was the one that I tried. I'm terrified. I literally was like, if I looked like this... It's very, very disturbing because it gives you this version of yourself that you're like, oh my God, I do like this version better. And then you're like, should I go buy blue contacts and get lip fillers and change my nose? Because damn, I could look like this. I genuinely thought I looked worse. I was like, this is not me. Oh my God. After we're done, I'm going to DM you pictures of (laughs) um, mean filters. I'm going to do the same. But Sanandini, thank you so much. I've honestly loved this conversation. I know we've had to reschedule a few times, but it was so worth it. Thank you for being so personal with me as well. I really, really appreciate it. So nice to talk to you. Anytime, anytime. I'm looking forward to, you know, catching up outside of this too. And thank you for having me. I'm really excited to see what women like you are doing, uh, especially for the South Asian diaspora. And I'm excited to see where you go. So thank you. Thank you. That's really sweet. (laughs) I really hope that episode provided you with value. And I really want to thank Sanandani again for coming onto the podcast and being so candid with her journey. And I would love to hear your thoughts. So please send them to me. You can always slide into my DMs on Instagram or Twitter at Pretty Personal. And also, if you're not a social media person and you prefer email, you can email me. It's prettypersonal at gmail.com. All my links will be down below. Like I said before, don't forget to follow and subscribe to this podcast because the bonus episode is dropping next Tuesday and it's actually such a great episode. So yeah, I guess I will speak to you guys next week. Take care. Bye. (laughs) 